Good morning, New Life Manitou. My name is Danae Glass. If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of the scripture? Today's reading is from Matthew 1, verses 18 through 23. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus." because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Remain standing as we pray. Lord, you have come into this world. You God, creator, have come as one of us, and we remember and we are hopeful that you will come again in glory. And Lord, right now, we open our hearts to you, recognizing that you are here now in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, we pray to you, we worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all of God's people, shouted with joy. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Today is, uh, if you're familiar with the Western Church calendar, this is the second Sunday of Advent. If you're familiar with an Eastern Christian calendar, this is the fourth Sunday of the Nativity. And if you're just a new lifer, non-denominational, we say this is Christmas time, right? It's Christmas time. We look back 2,000 years to when God himself came as one of us, and this is the season where we also look with hope that God will come again in glory, and we remember and we cherish the fact that we believe and we hope that God is here with us right here, right now. And so this morning, we are going to talk about a character in the Bible, a very special character, a character I've never taken a whole sermon to talk about this particular person. He's mentioned quite a few times in the story of Jesus' birth. There's two little vignettes about him. There's about five verses each about this guy. If you were to Google this guy's name, say Bible character, and then this guy's name, unfortunately, 99% of the results that would would come out on Google would be about another guy of the same name. Have you ever Googled your own name and found the same to be true? Turns out there's a lot of other Joe Kirkendalls doing, doing other stuff. These imposters out there on Google that aren't me, but there's other people. And so if you Google this, if you YouTube search this person's name, Bible character, this person on YouTube to find sermons and histories uh, about this person videos, you would find that 99% of the YouTube videos are about another guy of the same name who is also in the Bible. We're talking today, of course, about who? Joseph. Joseph. The father of Jesus. Some people would say the earthly father. Some people would say the foster father of Jesus. He is Joseph of Nazareth. He is a.k.a. Joseph the carpenter, a.k.a. Joseph, son of Jacob. A little trivial pursuit for you there that he is listed as the son of Jacob. This is Joseph. Today's sermon, we are going to talk about three points about who Joseph is. I'll tell you what those are 
in just a minute, but first, a story. I grew up and have fond memories of, of being raised in the church, uh, the Catholic church, and going to church every Sunday, and I was very fortunate to have the name Joseph. That's my full name. I'm Joseph Paul Kirkendall the third, my father, who's downstairs helping with the nursery, I think, this very moment. You have to tell him that I talked about him in honor. Uh, he's Joseph Paul Kirkendall Jr., and then my grandfather, Joseph Paul Kirkendall Sr., and then we, my wife and I, have a son. Our firstborn son is Joseph Paul Kirkendall IV. So we have a lot of Josephs in our family, and I was always grateful as a Catholic at the more traditional churches uh, just have an appreciation for Christian names and Bible names, and I was just always kind of proud that my name was in the Bible named after this Joseph, Joseph the father, uh, the, the earthly father of Jesus. And so I'd go to church, and I'd meet other kids that did not have Bible names, and I feel so sad for the Darrens, the Derricks, the, the Magnolias and Mays and the Macy's. And I'd say, oh, what's, what, well, what's your middle name? And they'd say, Freddie. And I'd say, oh, man, your parents must not have loved you like the way. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I did, I did have an appreciation growing up for a, a very Christian name. Uh, and, and my parents, uh, I'm proud of them. They always say they're proud of me. I'm proud of you guys. And they brought me every Sunday. This is a legend in the Kirkendall household. Uh, to, to a Sunday school. that they, It was like through the school year. There was a Sunday school. And every single Sunday, uh, they brought me. So I had a perfect attendance for one year. At the end of this year, I was brought up in the front. And a little boy given a little bookmark, and it was always St. Joseph themed, like a little bookmark, little ward, and I thought it was so cool, a picture of St. Joseph, I thought it was really cool, and then the next year, every single Sunday, my parents brought me to Sunday school, I had two years of perfect attendance, and I got another little gift, a little bit bigger, a little bit better, and then three, four, five, six, seven, right, seven years of perfect attendance, so way to go, my parents, that's nothing I did, they, they brought me, they were faithful, um, and it was always at the end of the year, I'd give, be given a little gift, and it was always a Joseph theme. And I remember the last one, I still have it. It's a, a great gift, a genuine leather-bound St. Joseph edition Bible. It's got pictures of Joseph and the father of Jesus. And it's something, it's just in my memory growing up as a kid. It was always kind of a part of my life. It was a talking point. It was like, yo, Joseph, like Joseph, the father of Jesus. Yes, that's who I think about. That's who I, in some ways, look up to in this biblical sense. So today we're going to talk about, this whole sermon is about Joseph. Three points. The first one will be about how we're chosen, like Joseph was chosen, and we could uh, understand something about our story through him and his, uh, God choosing Joseph. The second point is, uh, is going to be that, that Joseph made up his mind that Jesus is God. And then the third point this morning, learning about Joseph, is that uh, Jesus' birth gives us a decision to make. We have to choose, is he who he claimed to be, God, or is Christmas just this nice time of year? And we are here this morning to declare that Jesus is God. Amen? Amen. I'll try it over here. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right, so the first point, we'll put it up here. If you're taking notes, point one, we are chosen to glorify God and his purposes. That is what we're chosen for in this life. It's not a way that people outside the church, I don't think, would say this. I think they would say something like, well, life is about getting happiness. Life is about doing important things. Life, I'd say, maybe about love. Life is about um, 
doing good. Life is about getting as much of it out of life as you can. But we as believers, we would, we would go a step further. And I think we would say life is really about glorifying God and his purposes. And that is really the most enjoyable, wonderful thing we can do as Christians. And Joseph does this. Joseph is obedient. Joseph serves the Lord. And Joseph is this wonderful character who does what he is supposed to do. He is obedient even seemingly when no one is watching other than God. We'll get to this point in a second. We'll get to the story of Joseph and Mary. But it's wonderful as a parent. I'm a parent of four little boys. And uh, it's wonderful when I see, see one of them doing something good. Like this morning, we were coming here to church and Theo, who's two years old, needs help getting his jacket and his shoes and pants and everything on. And so Rowan brought over Theo's jacket. And I said, good job, Rowan. Thanks for helping out. Thanks for uh, bringing Theo his jacket. And he smiled and walked away. And Max, of course, saw that I complimented Theo. Max brings over the shoes. Oh, wow, Max, thanks for bringing Theo's shoes. Wow, good job. And Jay is like, well, I'll, I'll help too. Jay helps put the shoes on. Wow, Jay, good job. And this is what we as parents do. We, we're, we look for things to compliment our children, and they do it more. This is just good parenting. But it's wonderful, isn't it? Those of you parents that have seen this in your kids, when they think they're not being watched, and they actually do something awesome. We were, last week, we were in Minnesota, Erica's family's from there, and Grammy, Rowan's uh, grandmother, gave Rowan a little tin of mints, this tiny little mint, which he cherishes because we don't do a lot of candies in our house, so Grammy spoiled him, gave him this tiny little mint, had a couple of mints in it, and he was around the corner. He didn't know that I was around the corner, and Max was there, and he pulled out the mint box and opened it up and said, Max, would you like a mint? And Max is like, ooh, yes, let me have it. And he eats it. Would you like another one, Max? And he gives Max a handful of mints, sharing his little tiny baby stash of mints. And I just thought, wow, here's Rowan doing the right thing, caring and sharing, not knowing that anybody else is watching. Joseph seems to do that in the life of Jesus as Jesus, we could say foster father. Jesus um, is raised by this man who just continues to do the right thing even when seemingly no one is watching but God. Here's a thought for you. This is a very, um, it's a very unfortunate, very tragic thought for you to think about, especially you parents, especially you parents of younger kids. It's a question that hopefully it's, it's one of those things that you have to prepare for, but you pray it would never, ever happen. And that is the, the sudden, tragic, very unfortunate loss where both parents die leaving kids behind. And Erica and I, a couple years ago, we, we just thought, well, we better make a plan just in case it's, it would be horrible. It would um, be devastating to the Kirkendall house. And to, we just thought we, we should have a plan in place just in case. It's what you're supposed to do as parents. And who would you choose to raise your kids if this happened? And we chose uh, some people in our family who are Christians. And, and we chose, like, we want our kids to be raised as, as similarly as we would have them raised. So we picked people that are as much like us as possible that would raise our kids like we would raise them. Now think about this. Where am I going with this? Think about this for how God chooses the earthly parents for Jesus. There must be a whole lot we can learn about Joseph and Mary. And specifically today, we're going to talk about uh, Jesus. Uh, Jesus, I'm going to say a couple things here because uh, we don't know too much. 
We just know that Joseph must have raised his family with a lot of consistency in coming to church because we find out uh, later in the story in Luke 4.16, we find out that some people are talking about Jesus and it says that he went to Nazareth where he was brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And so he goes back to his hometown He goes to the synagogue, to church, and he goes there as normal as it was his custom. So Jesus grew up in the church. His parents were very faithful in bringing him to church. Jesus is the son of a hardworking carpenter. We know this from one little verse in the Bible that mentions that Jesus is the son of a carpenter. You could pull it up. It's Matthew 13, 55. It's just people talking about Jesus, and they say, isn't this the carpenter's son? They don't even say his name, but they say the, the, the name of Joseph. They say his profession. Isn't this uh, the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, Judas? We'll talk about the Holy Family in a minute. And aren't his sisters here with us? So we don't know too much about Joseph, but we do know what he did for a living. He was a carpenter. And this Greek word tecton, if I'm saying that correctly, um, it's pretty vague. We don't know if Jesus, uh, excuse me, if Joseph, I think I keep saying Jesus instead of Joseph. Hopefully you're following me even though I'm saying it wrong. Joseph uh, was a carpenter and um, he, we don't know if it was like a, like I've done some carpentry in my days. I did some framing for a little while and that's like one type of carpentry where like you're working with some other burly dudes and you're like holding boards up and nailing with like nail guns and it's rough. You're outside, you're framing the house. And then a very different type of carpentry is trim carpentry. I've done a little bit of that myself and that's like precision. You're putting up the base and the case and the crown molding and you're, you're shaving off like half a sixteenth of an inch to make sure the the seams line up perfectly. We don't know what type of carpentry Joseph did. In fact, we don't even know for sure, at least according to this Greek word, that it was woodworking. It was just more of a general word for people who worked construction. So it could have been uh, blacksmith. It could have been stonework. But very early in the Christian tradition are people like Justin Martyr, who was born around 100 AD, said that Joseph was a carpenter with wood. And he even went on to say that the tradition was that Jesus and his father Joseph worked with yokes and plows, making farm equipment. And so for whatever that's worth, uh, we know that Joseph was a carpenter. He worked hard with his hands and his um, reputation as a carpenter was even more than his own name. People didn't know his name, but they said, isn't this the carpenter's son referring to Jesus? So Joseph was a hard worker, and I just wanted to encourage a lot of you in here. Uh, There's probably just a few of us that that get to do ministry as our career. Many of us get to do ministry as as a volunteer, not getting paid, but so many of us in this room um, have served or do serve in positions where we work, and we work hard, and this is the character of Joseph. His reputation as a carpenter is is well known. He's a hardworking guy. Besides the vignette of uh, Jesus, uh, excuse me, Jesus' birth being from uh, Mary and Joseph and how this engagement happens and the baby is not Joseph's. We'll get to that story in just a minute. There is the, the vignette about Joseph having the dreams about bringing his family to Egypt. Joseph has this dream that they are in danger. Joseph brings the whole family to Egypt to flee the danger of Herod. And so little Jesus, Mary and Joseph 
go to Egypt. That's how it always plays out in my mind. That's how it's usually in, in pictures. But it could have been, we'll go back to the, the Holy Family for just a second. It is possible, another tradition in thinking about Joseph, some of you aren't aware of this, was that Joseph had a previous marriage and he was a widower. And so all these other kids, uh, these brothers and sisters of Jesus are actually older than Jesus. And then Joseph was widowed and then he married Mary. So this image of the family, the Holy Family going to Egypt would have been about like 10 people, brothers, sisters of Jesus, little baby Jesus, and Joseph and Mary. But in my mind, it's always Joseph and Mary, and then the, the, uh, the brothers and sisters of Jesus are then the older brothers of, of Jesus. I don't know. There's debate on this. Either way, Joseph has a dream to go to Egypt. He has a dream of an angel telling him to go to Egypt. Some of you know this story very well. He picks up everything, and he goes to Egypt with his family. And then at the end of this season, has another dream, come on back, go to Nazareth, and then that's where Jesus ends up. That's where Jesus is raised. But think about the faith involved and just having a dream and going. Like here's a man of faith, here's a man listening to the Lord. Two other stories where Joseph is, is, is named and that's the going to the temple to have little baby Jesus circumcised and then presented and then a final story of Jesus when he is 12 years old, goes to the temple, is teaching the teachers and then his parents are furiously uh, w- looking for him and they find him and they say, hey, you know, you, you had us worried sick, your parents were so worried about you and he's obviously there because the word parents is mentioned. But that's about it. That's Joseph's story in the Bible. And so now let's look at point number two, which is this, and we'll get into the narrative of the birth narrative of Mary and Joseph. Point number two is this, Joseph made his mind up that Jesus is God. He was put into a position here. Here he is engaged to this woman named Mary. Let's look at the story. It says this in Matthew 1.18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, you know what that means? Hopefully you do. Um, she was found to be pregnant. Now this is like a worst nightmare for an engaged man that hadn't been with his uh, fiance, that she is now pregnant. And what will he do? Like the male ego is, is a powerful thing. The force of society is another very powerful thing. The shame that must have been involved is another very powerful thing swirling in this story. And Joseph engaged to this woman that he had not been with is pregnant. He just, like, what would you do in that situation? Those of you who are in here who are men who are either married, thinking about your own engagement, you would, of course, like, call it off. And in this day and age, it wasn't just an engagement between a man and a woman. No families were involved money and the bride price and the, the whatever was probably involved. There was contracts spoken or written or oral contracts involved. And here's this very dire situation where Joseph is put in and what does he decide to do? It says he decides to just divorce her quietly. He was a man of the law, which is interesting. I'll, I'll mention this in a minute, but the law gave him full permission to go public with this divorce and even have Mary executed because of what she did. She had cheated on Joseph, but Joseph is a wise man. Joseph is an obedient man to God. Joseph is a humble man, and he decides just to put this, bed this down, and to to divorce her quietly, which is very different than our society. We go public, don't we? 
with just about any kind of mistake someone else makes. If someone, if you order a burger and you say no pickles and your burger comes out and you're hungry and you bite into it and you bite into a pickle, what do you do? You freak out, there's a pickle in my sandwich. I, I hate pickles. You bring it back, you show them, like, look at the pickle. Look at it, look at it right there. There's pickles ah, everywhere. There's pickles. I said, no pickles. And they're like, calm down, sir. We'll get you another one. You get another burger. You go, you sit down, you unwrap it, you open it up, you bite into it. And guess what? Another, ah, there's a pickle in it. Ah, I got to call corporate. You get corporate on the phone and they say, oh, we're so sorry. We'll give you a coupon. Well, this, this one will be free. We'll give you some blah, blah, blah. Okay, okay. And then you're like, that doesn't cover it. I'm going to go social media on this. And you, you, me, you, you just all over the web. You're like, guess what happened to me today? The worst thing ever happened to me. I ordered a sandwich with no pickles. And guess what was on it? Ah, <laughs> That's what we do, right? I'm exaggerating a little bit, but that's, in our society, we go public with everything. Any time we've been wronged, we have to let everyone know about it. Not the case with Joseph, a man of God, a man of the law that just decides, I'm going to do this thing quietly. He could have brought the most shame and the most revenge on someone like Mary, who he had thought must have just been out um, with someone else. And so he decides, as the humble, gentle man he is, he decides to go quiet. Here's what it says, verse 20. But after he had considered this, so he just considered, I am going to divorce this woman. And all this is before an angel comes to him. And so here we begin. So Joseph already has it in his mind to just just to bed this down, to go quiet about this, to not uh, shame Mary anymore, to not uh, bring execution into this, for goodness sake, because that was the law of the day. But instead, after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Not somebody else. This isn't what you think it is. This is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, which we'll talk about this in a minute. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This ancient Hebrew word, Emmanuel, God with us. So Joseph is convinced to take this woman as his wife, even though the circumstances look like one thing, but they are another, that this is Jesus. He will save the world, save the people from their sin. And this is Emmanuel, God with us. He's quoting here, this passage is quoting an Old Testament passage, Isaiah 7, 14, which was probably 700 years before Jesus. Isaiah 7, 14 just says this, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. So this is 700 years before Mary comes around and Jesus is born. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. And this is a pretty awesome verse because consider like this is 700 years 
before Jesus is born. And I remember um, being in a debate with, uh, with an atheist. It was this time where uh, it was like this Pikes Peak Community College thing where uh, there was an atheist and they needed a Christian to come debate him. Somehow I got the phone call and I was like, yeah, that, that's okay, I'll do it. And so I was the college pastor at the time. So I get to go to Pikes Peak Community College and debate an atheist. But we had met before that time and actually kind of developed a friendship. Like we talked, had coffee a couple times and we both kind of decided like, Let's just do what we're doing when we have coffee. We're we're debating, we're talking theological things and going back and forth, but let's do this in a setting where people can watch and listen and and learn from the conversations we had. It's like, great, let's do that. So we go into this debate, and one of the points I had was that this passage, this passage declares that there will be a virgin, a sign that Jesus, a sign that God will come, Emmanuel, God with us will come, will be that a virgin will be with child. And I used this in, in the debate, and, and he was like, yeah, but, like we had both done our research, he said, but, isn't this word, this ancient Hebrew word virgin, couldn't it mean just a young girl and not necessarily someone who hadn't been with a man? And I said, well, probably not. It's really not used that way. But he said, well, couldn't it have been? And I had to admit, well, I guess it could have. It was really never used like that. It really always meant uh, a woman that was a virgin. But I guess it could have. And, And we went back and forth a little bit, but he didn't know that I had done some research. And I said this, I said, well, the, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, came out before Jesus was born, and the Greek word, so the Hebrew word and more specifically the Greek word can't be confused. It does mean the word virgin. It means a woman that hadn't been with a man will be with a child, and this will be the sign there will be Emmanuel, God with us. And, and so I kind of said that in the debate, and he said, well, I, I don't really have a response to that. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> and I just thought, wow, this is, what a sign this is. And what a thing being fulfilled in Joseph's life that he is being chosen to be the earthly father of a child that is not his own. It is the fulfillment of this prophecy. There's a song, it came out a little while ago. There's lots of renditions of it. I'm sure you will hear it. I'm sure you probably already have heard it. It's called Mary Did You Know? You know the song? And the lines of it are, uh, there's quite a few lines that are just beautifully written about like, Mary, did you know that when you kissed the face of your son, you were kissing the face of God. And I wonder if, like, well, Joseph would have been right there. Maybe we need another song about Joseph. Joseph, did you know that when you were working with little Jesus on maybe some wood project um, as a carpenter, that you were working with the one who created the wood? Joseph, did you know? He was right there along with Mary raising this little boy. Those of you that are uh, singers and songwriters, you should write a Joseph, did you know song. That's your assignment. Point number three is this, as we kind of conclude this sermon. Jesus' birth demands a choice of us. Jesus' birth, there should be an apostrophe, that's my grammatical error. Jesus' birth demands a choice of 
us. I think today in this day and age around Christmas time, the great joy, the great uh, wonderful thing that happens around Christmas time is that non-Christians, they will come to church. Non-Christians who, who uh, really don't ever read the Bible will maybe look at Luke 2 and, and say, well, what is this story all about? Non-Christians who uh, usually don't think about anything religious around this season and, and Easter, of course, as well, but around Christmas season, people do, even though if they're not people of faith, will think about, will consider Jesus. They will consider this story. They will become familiar with it. That's something that's just absolutely wonderful about the world, the society we live in today. But the hard thing, I think the, the downside of Christmas time, the tempting thing for us as Christians that believe this story is for us to downplay Christ, for us to get excited and involved with other things that really don't have anything to do with Jesus. Unfortunately, this is all of us, myself included, think about like commercialism and how that just overtakes all of us as a society, as Christians, and we get so involved in that and we can forget about the Christ of Christmas. And this is the real downside, that we can make Christmas into just this nice holiday, seasons, greetings, happy holidays, and we can take Christ out of Christmas when we should be the ones using this holiday season and this hope and this expectation to share Jesus, to invite people in, into the story. Here, listen to this story. What we believe is that God came as one of us. I'm sorry, what? Like, you, wait, you, wait, the story is that, like, little baby Jesus is God? Yes, that's what we believe. That's what we hope, that he has come, he will come again, and he is here now. Reminds me of the scene, which I'm sure all of you have seen uh, in Charlie Brown's Christmas, where Charlie Brown is throwing his hands in the air. What is Christmas all about? Can anyone tell me what Christmas is all about? And then who shows up? Lioness, with his little blanket, and he goes up, and what does he do? On, on, this is shown every year on national television and public stations. This is shown, Charlie Brown asking what is Christmas, and little lioness with his blanket says the story of Luke 2. Luke 2, and there were shepherds in the same country minding their own business, and then an angel of the Lord came upon them and said, do not be afraid, and little lioness drops his blanket, and he declares that this Savior is born today, and his name is Jesus, and he will save the people from the sins, and he is Christ with us. Christ the Lord is what is said in Luke 2. He has the power to save the people from their sins. Let me read this passage that we've already read. Matthew 1 20. Uh, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. This is the words of the angel to Joseph in this whole scene that we've been uh, talking about. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That is the good news of Christmas, that our sins can be taken away, that our sins can be redeemed. I was thinking about this uh, yesterday, thinking about like my, my boys, my four little boys are always talking about good guys and bad guys, good guys and bad guys. They're the good guys, there's bad guys out there, they're sneaking around. But I was just like, guys, listen, there's, there's good and bad in all of us and we are all in need of a savior. The good news of Christmas is that while we are still sinners, Christ has come, Christ will die for us and we can be redeemed. One final story. That's a, a, something I was thinking about 
Eight years ago, eight plus years ago, when Eric and I uh, were, were expecting our first son, Jay, who's Joseph Paul Kirkendall the fourth, it's a mouthful, uh, we're, we're hoping, and it's around this time, around Christmas time, where we know that we're, we're, my wife is pregnant, we're going to have a baby, he was going to be born in the, in the summertime, and so we're spending this time getting ready for the baby. It's what every parent does, this, this very special time uh, of being a parent of your first child, you're gathering stuff together, you're, you get a bassinet, and you get a crib, and, and you know someone might say, well, what happens when you need to spend the night somewhere else? Well, you need a packing place, so we get a packing place. And you need a little floor mat for the baby to do tummy time. So you get a floor mat, you got the bassinet, you got the crib, you got the packing place, then you need the little plastic bumpo seat. If you get the bumpo seat, you need the boppy seat. And what about the stroller? You gotta get a stroller, and you gotta get a car seat that goes onto the stroller, and you can't bring home a baby without a car seat. And I'm like, well, well, how do they know you have a car seat? Well, they go down and check. They, you have to have a car seat. Now, and in my head, I'm like, well, what if you walk to get to the hospital? What if you live across the street? Doesn't matter. You have to have a car seat. You have to have a crib. You have to have a bassinet. You have to have a bumpo. You have to have a boppy. You have to have the rug. You have to have all this stuff. And so we're getting, because we want to be good parents, we're getting all of this stuff and, and accumulating these things when the baby uh, has a place to be. And then I think about the story of Joseph and Mary. And they, they get, uh, they're engaged to be married there's gossip and there's just weird scenarios surrounding uh, the, the, like he's wanting to quietly divorce her and then he's not wanting to divorce her. He's maybe talking about a dream and then there's this extra scenario where they're called to Bethlehem because of some government census and so they have to go. Mary is pregnant and they're in Bethlehem a long ways off from their home and there they are and we all know the story. There's no place in the guest house. There's no place in the inn and so they have to have this baby Mary has to give birth like amongst animals, amongst the outside in a barn or stable or something. Like there's no room. It's, it's horrible. It's a scene of complete humility. It's a scene where we believe the most hope ever has been uh, approached to this earth where God himself was born. And yet the scene must have looked so dismal and they didn't have a bassinet they didn't have a crib they didn't have a boppy they didn't have a bumpo no stroller no car seat how are they going to bring the kid home if they didn't have a car seat they had nothing nothing at all and they didn't even have a place to set the child and what do they end up using a manger you know what a manger i always thought like the manger was like the thing you put baby jesus in but it turns out a manger is a like a feeding trough, it's a gross, like, like animals are eating out of this. It's like a makeshift thing. That, and I imagine as a father, like as I was for my first son, like preparing and getting all this stuff, like what was Joseph doing? What was he thinking these months leading up? Things must have been horrible. Like it must have been a dire situation for there not to be any room in any inn or any guest house. They have to have this baby outside or in, in some sort of uh, stable with animals. And then they have nothing to place the baby in. It's like, man, Joseph must have felt like, I have failed. Like, I, I can't provide for this fa family. Maybe doubt. I'm just kind of thinking into the story that, that nothing is said about what Joseph was feeling or thinking. But you just, as a father, preparing for a child, like, you must have thought, Joseph, couldn't you have made something? Like, isn't your job, uh, <laughs> could you have put something together? 
And, and whatever, like he, he didn't. Like they were either on the, you know, trying to do this government census and there was no room. What a humble scene for a father to have nowhere to set a brand new child. And so they used this gross feeding trough to set baby Jesus in, the savior of the world and all these prophecies. And I imagine in Joseph's mind, just all this doubt. And then we hear the story of Luke 2. And it says that there was angels in the field, like minding their own business, taking care of sheep. And an angel comes, says, don't be afraid. I have good news. Today is going to be the day a Savior is born. He is Christ the Lord is born. And so these shepherds listening to this angel are like, wow, we want to go see him. This will be the sign to you. He's born unto you this day in the town of David, the city of Bethlehem. And this will be a sign. He will be wrapped in swaddling clothes, which doesn't really narrow it down. All the babies at that time, that's what you did. You wrapped them in swaddling clothes like a diaper and just kind of make them comfy and wrap them up. But you will find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That's the sign. So imagine this scene, and I'm kind of just thinking about this and and what must have happened is that these dirty shepherds show up either that night or the next day or two days later. They make their way to Bethlehem. They're asking around, is a baby born today? But it was a baby born yesterday, whatever day they got there. We, We heard news from an angel that a baby was born. You're looking for a baby that was just born? Yeah, maybe there was a couple of them. I don't know. But when they know, the sign that they know that the baby that they are looking for, what is it? He's in a manger. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes and he's lying in a manger. Imagine the shepherds getting there and saying, yes, there he is. He's in a manger, just like the angel told us. And then Joseph is standing there. It's like, oh, wow. This scene of like humility where I thought I was completely failing because I had nothing to set my child in. This ends up being the sign that Jesus is who the angels and the Lord and all these prophecies are being fulfilled, that this is Christ the Lord. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to pray and then Brett's going to lead us to the table. So Lord, as we come before you and consider that you have come into this world as one of us, Lord, as we look forward and and know and believe and hope that you are coming again, Lord, ultimately right now here in this moment, we welcome you. We recognize that you are here in our hearts, Lord, in our minds. We started off this sermon praying, Lord, open our hearts and open our minds. And so Lord, as they are now open to you, Lord, fill us with the knowledge, the the love, the thoughts that, Lord, you are here. You've come to redeem us. You've come to save us. Lord, lead us to your table where we will find you. We will find your grace. We will receive from you, Lord, life and forgiveness and redemption. For your name is Jesus, and you will save the people from their sins.